Mr. Uh, questions, or do you want to just continue in that uh, in that realm? Hello, hello. Sorry, you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. Um, sorry, I think I just got cut off for a second there. Um, when the when yeah, the no, recording was, starts, it uh, it actually has to change the way that their server is set up. Because oh, the recordings okay. are actually done on their server. Okay. But normally when they're when a call is not recorded, your computer connects directly to my computer. But mm. when the recording starts, uh, uh, the Skype software on each of our computers redirects that signal so that now it goes through the server. And so there, that's why that uh, that signal mm. looks like it's uh, momentarily interrupted. It's because, in fact, it really was. You're no longer <laughs> talking to me. You are talking to Skype now, and Skype is talking to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no. I, I, one thing I was curious as about actually is how I'm just also learning about kind of the Buddhist models of consciousness in a very like I'm at a very very early stage with that really um so in a bit in a similar way to sort of like things being recorded by Skype um and then a conversation happening here and how how mind consciousness and sense consciousness and store consciousness kind of interrelate and manifest in in different ways in the Anapanasati and how all the different elements have to have to come together um, I was just wondering if it's if it's useful to know a bit more about that model, if that helps in the Anapanasati, or if we should just go ahead with that conversation. Actually, there are a number of elements within the teachings of the Buddha <clears throat> that are often referred to and taught separately, but that they actually fit deeply connected mm. within each other. Okay. An example of that is, is that the main teachings of the Buddha can be uh, uh, cut down to just one line or just one statement. The Buddha's statement was Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Mm. I like the one, don't worry, be happy. Um, uh, uh, Goenka has one, uh, never mind, start again. <laughs> okay. And never mind the dukkha, start again into freedom from dukkha. Don't worry, don't don't fret, don't suffer, mm -hmm. be happy. Okay, so this is the basic teachings of the Buddha. Uh, and it, it has almost a promise in it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not so much of a promise is as uh, you stupid idiot, look, wake up. Look at what's really going on. You do not have to suffer. Mm. And yet people suffer their ways through life. So that's the top tier. Broken mm. down immediately, you can see the four noble truths. That mm. there is suffering, and there's the third uh, noble truth. There is the freedom from suffering. But the second noble truth is quite a doozy, and that is what is the cause of suffering? Mm. And then the uh, Eightfold Noble Path is the uh, how or the method to get out of the suffering. So you could say then that uh, the Eightfold Noble Path and Anapanasati fit right mm. together. That the way that you practice Anapanasati is with right effort, with right uh, wake up, right sati, uh, giving right attitude. Okay, so you can see that. Now, the, uh, the second noble truth uh, of the Buddha, that the cause of suffering requires actually a fairly deep investigation. And part of that deep investigation is to see, um, first off, the first thing that we learn is, is that uh, the cause of suffering is within each individual's mind. That the, the suffering doesn't come from the outside world that tsunamis do not cause suffering. Why? 
because we know full well we've got really clear documentation that all of the elephants on Phuket Island had headed for the hills long before the tsunami hit. They knew what was going on. They weren't stupid. They weren't asleep. The elephants knew the tsunami was coming, and they headed for the hills. And in fact, they were so intent with it that a whole lot of people went with them. Okay, so if we look at it from like that, is is that suffering always occurs within the mind, but a lot of the times it looks like that the suffering came from the outside to where, in fact, it didn't. It's just that we were standing in the way of something, and when it hit us, now we're suffering. Possibly the outside example of that is the matrix. When you can see the bullets coming, <laughs> you can dodge them. But um, the bullets are pretty quick. But uh, warfare has been that, uh, that way for a long time. An example of that is, is that an arrow is pretty fast. But if you have an arrow shot at you from a distance, you could more or less stand right out of the way of it. You can see where it's coming. A spear is even slower. So somebody can toss a spear at you from 10 feet away and you can stand out of the way of it if you see it coming and you're fast reacting. But if you become afraid of being hit by that spear, you'll probably freeze just long enough for it to hit you. So now we're looking at that, in fact, all suffering comes from within the mind. That's the second noble truth. And it has the quality of uh, lopa, moha, and dosa, which are, is greed, ignorance, and ill will. Mm. ignorance is the big one now this kind of ignorance is not wise ignorance it's foolish ignorance a wise ignorance would mean that you are wise to your ignorance you know that you don't know but that's not the problem for most people most problem with most people is especially in the societies like we uh, live in where children are expected to guess on their exam you know, you've got multiple choices. Better to guess than it is to not answer if you don't know. Okay. So we teach our children to guess. Oftentimes, what the child guesses then becomes his version of the truth. This leads to delusion, which means we think we know when we don't. Now, mm -hmm. that's ignorance. Real ignorance is to be ignorant about our own ignorance. <laughs> we are deluded. We think we know something when we don't. This is the mm -hmm. real ignorance. And so um, when we break down the second noble truth, it comes down into the details of actually how the mind works. Mm -hmm. And so the Buddha has a teaching called Paticca Samuppada. Or in the Thai language, is uh, Paticca Samupada. And that this uh, teaching is almost gener is generally translated into English as dependent origination. Yeah. What it actually is talking about is a step by step sequence of events that bring about an undesirable result. It's almost algorithmically. The mm. definition of actually an algorithm on a computer is a step-by-step -step sequence of events that guarantees the, uh, uh, the right result when the algorithm is functioning. But it, with Petitra Samapada, it's showing how the mind goes through a sequence of events that winds up in dukkha. Okay, so the cause of the dukkha then are the, is the end of the Paticca Samapada. And guess what the first step? It's a 12-step sequence that ends in dukkha. And the first step on the list is ignorance. Mm -hmm. So from ignorance through this, this series of processes, it winds up in suffering. And along the way, there are two kinds of consciousnesses that are spoken about. That there, there is, in fact, not one kind of conscious mm. 
There are two kinds of consciousness. We use the word in two different ways. And guess what? Even in the Pali, both kinds of consciousness are sometimes referred to with the same word. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example of that. One is, I see the tree. The other example is, I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. Or, I hear a sound. And the other one is, oh, I've heard all about it. So, uh, the sense consciousness and mind consciousness, mm -hmm. is, is that? Yes, exactly so. Yeah. And that the most human beings do not live in sense consciousness. Mm. They live in a mentally constructed consciousness. Mm. When we realize things, we actually don't realize anything. We mentalize. Mm. But we use the word, oh, I realize what you're talking about. Yeah. But you can't realize a tree. <laughs> Can you imagine a tree growing right on the top of my head? No, thanks. I don't want to realize trees. I'll mentalize them. All right. So in that regard, there are two different kinds of consciousness and that the second kind of consciousness is what impacts us on the inside. Humans do not live in the real world. They live in a mentally constructed world and they respond and they react to that mentally constructed world. <clears throat> and so when we, are, uh, when we are hit by or when we uh, are interacting with that internal sense world, that's what gives rise to the feelings. And what are the feelings that arise? Again, they are these kind of things in the second noble truth of greed arises, ill will arises, and delusion or confusion arises. Mm. Okay. So um, I would like it to do it this way, though, is that I would like to give you a very detailed understanding of Paticca Samapada mm. uh, in a different lecture. But what yeah, I would yeah. like to do today. Mm -hmm. is to show how there is an interconnection between the practice of Anapanasati and the teaching of Paticca Samuppada, then in mm -hmm. fact the teachings of Anapanasati of how to get the minds fit for work mm -hmm. and to what to look for is now that map that is given as Paticca Samuppada. Basically the, the reason to practice Anapanasati is to really understand how the mind works. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got the whole show back together. We pack the Paticca Samapada up under the second noble truth. We pack uh, the practice of Anapanasati into the, four, uh, the Eightfold Noble Path, and then we pack the four noble truths to, uh, together into the package and call it Dhamma. Or Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Mm -hmm. Or this is how you figure out how you're worried so that you can stop worrying and be happy. <laughs> so it's actually quite a, a simple teaching. But it is a teaching about how the human mind works and the human mind is not simple. Mm -hmm. The human brain is quite possibly the most complicated thing Anywhere in the universe. Mm. And that there are more neuron connections in the human brain than there are stars in all of the galaxies. That's how complicated we are. <laughs> and so finding a way to bring that whole show down to just two words, that's <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> Duca, Duca Naroda. That's the whole thing about the mind, because that's what people are most interested in. They want to feel secure. They don't want to feel like things are dangerous. Mm. We want to feel like things are okay. We don't want to feel like something's wrong. We, we, we want to, to be, at a, at a very deep level, we want to be friends, not enemies. Mm. 
that we do not want to be angry, and yet we are. We do not want to feel afraid, and yet we do. We don't want to feel, in other words, the higher mind or the thought process that we would call wisdom knows what to do, but there is something inside that keeps dragging us back down to a more base level, and we could call that base level, in fact, instincts. The Buddha calls them the underlying tendencies, Mm -hmm. which means we have underlying tendencies to greed. We have underlying tendencies to ill will. And we certainly have underlying tendencies to ignorance. Mm. Uh, And what I mean by that kind of ignorance is underlying tendencies to make mistakes, to think something's true when it's not. I generally refer to that as magical thinking. Mm. And that some magical thinking gets really downright magical. And so what the actual teachings of the Buddha then is about is let's come out of more and more as we can come out of our mentally constructed reality that's based upon a memory base that Mm. we started building in childhood at the time. So most of our ways of feeling and thinking and the ways that we do that, we developed that when we were children. And then when we were children, we do, did not at that time have the, uh, the knowledge that we have now. So we can say that children learn to feel ignorantly. Mm-hmm. Okay, how do they feel? They feel the way that they would feel instinctually. And that the people around the children, the adults, they continue to behave the same way too. In other words, if the child gets angry, the parent gets angry. Mm-hmm. So the child now, his anger is reinforced by the, by the parent. But if the child gets angry and he's got two wise parents, those wise parents are going to joke and laugh and tease with each other about this angry kid. Ah, there he is again. And in Thailand, it's the word is moho. So I say, aha, kitty's moho, kitty's moho, you know, and she doesn't like hearing that, but she comes right out of the anger almost lickety split (laughs) but if the if the parents get angry at the child now everybody's angry and that's giving that child overdoses of reinforcement that how do i handle my life is if i don't like something i'm going to get angry because Mm -hmm. everybody taught me to get angry Mm -hmm. but that anger itself comes out of instincts it comes out of the fight flight syndrome Mm. or in another way way of thinking it is a it is a self-protection the self-protective instinct so we protect ourselves uh instinctually uh starting from from before we're born actually in the womb but that then our ignorant way of uh expressing ourselves as children is reinforced over and over and over again throughout our life. Mm. So that when we become fully uh, awakened adults, we are still prone to feeling the way that we felt as a child because we've been in the habit of feeling that way over and over and over again right up until the present moment. And so the likelihood of you repeating those habits is still there. Mm. Okay, but Anapanasati, the original point of it uh, that we've talked about is basically to wake up to these feelings, to wake up to these thought patterns, to start to see what they are and begin to change them immediately. Mm. To change them right now in the here now, rather Mm. than waiting or, or saying, oh, someday I'll be free from anger. No, right now, be free from anger. Mm. Okay, or someday I'll be joyful. No, be joyful right now. Do the best you can. That did everything about the actual teachings of the Buddha have to do with what we're doing right now. And we're developing skills while we're doing this. 
And so as the skills develop over time, we're better able to do that thing. But mm-hmm. that thing is to take control of your life. Mm-hmm. To stop living by the automatic pilot and start flying your own airplane, to fly your own life. To find some really happy music and dance your way through life. That's all there is to it. Just dukkha. Yeah, we've got dukkha. Get out of it. (laughs) And so this is the practice of Anapanasati. The practice of Anapanasati is is to wake up sati, to take Mm -hmm. the right effort, to gladden the mind. Then we t- and to take a deep breath and to get the frontal cortex, that wisdom part of the brain, functioning, because normally our instincts come out of a more primitive part of the brain called the reptilian brain. The reptilian brain does actually monitor the heart. I do not know of any Buddhist or Hindu meditations that is intending to uh, learn how to speed up and slow down the heart. Mm-hmm. No one's got any meditations, and if they did, I don't think anybody would be very good at it. However, there are things that you can do with the breath that will have a side effect upon the heart. The breathing meditation and the heart uh, rate will slow down as well as the blood pressure will go down, mm-hmm. as opposed to when the, uh, the heart is in stress or when the mind is in stress, the heart is beating faster. And also, uh, the blood pressure goes up. So the, 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 uh, the heart, we don't use as an object of meditation at all. But the breath, we can't, because we have the capability of either having the breath go back to its normal state, which is part of the reptilian brain, keeps that going. But with conscious thought, we can actually take control of that away from the reptilian brain and start managing it with the frontal cortex. They've actually done uh, MRI studies to show that when someone starts to watch and focus on taking deep breaths, the frontal cortex starts to light up. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. And that's all they're doing is just making sure they're taking an in-breath and an out-breath and the frontal cortex lights right up. And from neuroscience perspective, that's exactly what we want to do. We want Mm -hmm. to light up the frontal cortex. And so the way that we do that is simply by taking power of the breath control away from the reptilian brain Mm -hmm. and bringing it forward into the brain. And by doing so, it lights up the frontal cortex as well as when we are taking deep breaths, we get a whole lot more oxygen in. And oxygen is is what we need. You've probably heard this, that 70% of all of the calories that a human being normally burns with a normal lifestyle, 70% of it is burned off the head. And that most of the heat that that leaves the human body leaves the head. This is why it's so important to have head covering in very cold weather. Mm. Because the head dissipates all of it Mm. well if that's true under normal circumstances think about it like this the reptilian brain is kind of like a um, a microcomputer maybe of as powerful as that in a laptop to where the frontal cortex is so complex that it requires the kind of power that a mainframe would use Mm. the kind of power that requires that you've got uh huge amounts of air conditioning And in fact, you may even have a power station just to facilitate running this uh, supercomputer to where a laptop can be run, fine, run off a battery. Okay. Mm. So when you see that kind of connection, you recognize how desperately important having good breathing is to get that best part of the brain up and running and functioning. And so it has that two, two step quality of getting the brain going by having a lot of oxygen and getting the brain going or the frontal cortex going by merely making sure that this is a long breath Mm -hmm. in and making sure that it's a long breath out Mm -hmm. keeps that frontal cortex engaged. 
a lot of teachers uh, will teach that you don't have to uh, control the breath. You just merely need to watch it. But if you're not, if you're just watching the breath, that means that generally the uh, the breathing is still being controlled by the um, uh, the reptilian mm-hmm. part of the brain, mm-hmm. and we don't have really strong, solid, hard attention on it. Which means that when we're not actually controlling the breath, the wa- the mind wandering away from watching the breath is very easy to do. Mm-hmm. But if you are solidly intent on when this is an in-breath, I know that it's a deep mm-hmm. in-breath. And on each in-breath, out-breath, I know that this is a deep out-breath, a sigh. Mm-hmm. And so the breathing becomes an extraordinarily part of it. And that makes it no wonder then that the whole process is called anapanasati, which means in and out breathing, sati, mm-hmm. to be aware of be mindful of it in that in that sense of controlling it mm. by doing so we're waking up the frontal cortex and also that means that now we with that uh, kind of frontal cortex we can begin with that frontal cortex to kind of manage the reptilian brain that mm. we actually do want to take control and manage it why because we do not want the reptilian brain to be the source of our feelings unmanaged and uncontrolled and just merely operating out of an old habit that we in fact want the reptilian brain to start managing feelings so that it produces the kind of feelings we want to have and that we know about this from neuroscience in the sense of um back actual brain chemicals mm. dopamine serotonin tryptophan these kind of uh, chemicals make the mind feel good but that um the dopamine especially tends to get us into a state of agitation and greed to where serotonin is more of a chemical that makes us feel sabai relaxed completely at ease this Mm. is the kind of chemical system that we would rather have going rather than a chemical system that is pumping out a lot of adrenaline into the blood Mm. Case, which comes more from the pituitary and the penal glands that are associated mm. back with the reptilian brain. So when the reptilian brain is in operation, that means that the human being is living the way that human beings lived 600,000 years ago. And when we are using the frontal cortex, now we're purely, purely freely, completely human. And that the, uh, the, the reptilian part of the brain now is in service to the frontal part of the brain. Mm-hmm. This also fits exactly in with Eric Byrne and Sigmund Freud, except that mm-hmm. uh, the nomenclature is different. Eric Byrne calls it the, uh, uh, the, Eric Byrne calls it the parent ego state, the adult ego state, and the child ego state. Within the brain, we can now see through neuroscience that there are three actual different sections of the brain. There is the frontal cortex, which we would call the human part, the wise part, or in the nomenclature that Byrne uses, the adult. Mm. Then we have the mid-cortex, which is where all of our language and all of our concepts and all of our rules, regulations, and all of that is stored. And that is called the parent ego state, and Freud calls it the superego. And then we have the, uh, the reptilian brain, which is the more primitive part, and that Byrne calls this the child. Mm. And basically what we have as a uh, standard human being is we have an internal dialogue between the parent and the child. Mm. The parent's telling the child, you got to do this. And the child says, I don't want to do that. Mm. And that's basically the dialogue. And so we feel that conflict. Mm. What we as now Dhamma dudes and meditators are going to do is we're going to open up that frontal cortex and make him the boss. And part of his boss, uh, part of his job is, is to take the parent away from the child to stop beating up on the child and stop telling the child what to do and instead let the child feel filled with joy 
to let the child be a happy child. But basically what people do to themselves with this parent ego state and the child ego state is exactly what happened to them in childhood. The child is just having fun. And the parent comes by and says, shut up, sit down, or clean your room, or you got to spend your ABCs or whatever like that, okay? So you can see this internal dialogue that we have as adults now started in childhood when mm -hmm. our parents are telling us what to do and we don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And so this winds up being much of the dialogue that we have in our heads as adults and that the better dialogue would be for uh, the rule maker, uh, the parent ego state, mm. to be quiet, mm. to take a rest, take it easy. We want mm. the child then to become joyful, and we want the frontal cortex, the wise part of us, is to be sharp, mm. focused, see what's going on. Mm. Okay. So I've been speaking in neuroscience terms, but you can also understand that that's actually the Dhamma. Because as long as we're hard on ourselves, we'll feel bad. And we are in the habit of being hard on ourselves and then feeling bad. We always set goals for ourselves that we can't meet. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so we need to take that part of the parent ego state of setting goals and cut it out. Mm. Let's not make go. Let's enjoy this moment instead. And this mm. is the actual practice in actual practice at Anapanasati is mm. to wake up that frontal cortex and put the rule maker kind of off to the side mm. so that we really let that child inside enjoy its life. <laughs> But also, so this is a, go ahead. No, but um, but that state of of happiness is also, or whatever you want to call it, is also the kind of strongest foundation for uh, the higher higher thinking or whatever you know. Right, like that's one of the things I've just noticed, just uh, from from my own perspective through practicing, is um, it's not just about or like that feeling of like um, contentment that you can get and tranquility is, it leads to much clearer thinking at a much higher level as well as, you know, so it's, I'm, I'm trying to work out how all the different pieces fit together, basically. Um, okay, you can also see how um, telling yourself the same old stories or thinking mm. about thoughts in the past. Mm-hmm will interfere with what you actually want to do in the present moment. Mm. Mm. Okay, like, for instance, um, understand a philosophical concept or begin to even understand the Dhamma. We have to actually use the frontal cortex part of our mind to do mm. that. Mm -hmm. yeah, the only other possibility is using Dhamma is just a whole new set of rules to learn. Mm. In, um, in, my, in my practice, um, often it will be the thing that um, snaps me out of it is is a kind of inner 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 parental like um, you know dialogue kind of way it's like part of my mind is either having a kind of argument or or narrating an experience or planning for the future and if that's um, the kind of parent that needs to be put to one side um, I would go so far as to say that that analogy kind of um, has limits to it. Mm, okay. <laughs> and that there's other ways of, of looking at it now that we understand what that is. Mm. And in this regard, then, I would say that the kinds of thoughts that we want to have mm. would be the kind of thoughts that we ought to have. And that the kind of thoughts that we don't want to have, we should find a way of not having those kind of thoughts so much. Mm -hmm. and I know that sounds kind of funny, but let's put it this way. We're actually in the process of training the mind to have wholesome thoughts 
and also to train the mind to have to not have unwholesome thoughts. And mm-hmm. this is a major part of the training of Anapanasati. In fact, this is the first thing that happens with Anapanasati in the sense of the instructions are watch the breath. Mm-hmm. And then we recognize the mind is not watching the breath. Mm-hmm. But our right view is, is that, oh, right now I'm supposed to be watching the breath. Mm-hmm. So the very first thing that's likely to happen to a, a brand new student is, is that that parent ego state is going to wake up and say, you ought to be watching your breath. You haven't watched that breath for five minutes now. You're no good at this meditation. You ought to go get a new teacher and all kinds of other kinds of things that can be said from that <laughs> part of the mind. Okay. And we want to make sure that that part of the mind is not part of our meditation. Mm -hmm. This is why we say, "Uh aha, I see you, Mara. In Mm -hmm. other words, we see the mind has wandered away, including the propensity of yelling at ourselves for the fact that the mind has wandered away. Now, here's a way of looking at it. The mind is in the normal state of wandering away, including oftentimes that yakking part of the mind is out there saying, nah, 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 you're doing it wrong. Kind of, uh, and we do that to ourselves. Um, we can actually bring up an old memory mm. of things that happened long ago, the kind mm. of memory that either everybody who shared that memory is dead or as as old as I am and as forgetful as I am, and therefore they were not going to remember it if I went to apologize to them. They don't remember. <laughs> this is only the only thing that's left is my own remembrance of it, and yet I'm in there saying, yeah, 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 yeah. you did a really terrible thing when you were in high school, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> These are the kind of thoughts that we want to learn to avoid completely because they're completely unuseful. And they're mm. harmful, in fact. They, mm. they wind up making us feel bad. Mm. So right from the get-go in the practice, we need to start changing that. This is the right effort that we take, is to change that out of uh, you're not doing the meditation correctly mm. into, uh-huh, I do see you. Okay, we're beginning to wake up, and so we need to congratulate ourselves for waking up to the fact that we can now see that in the mind. We recognize Mm. that the mind has wandered away from the breath, and that's kind of a miracle Mm. to wake up, Mm. to recognize that the mind is not doing what we thought the mind should have been doing. This is sati. It's a wake-up, and it is a marvelous thing, and it is even more marvelous when it becomes a skill. Mm. And so we want to start developing this skill of waking up. Mm. That skill, then, with the right effort, is going to be that quality of, aha, I see you. Aha, I see you, Myra. Or, aha, I see you, yakking part of the, of the mind. I see that dialogue. Or... I just see the mind just wandering around in junk thought. But now we're coming out of that junk thought. Mm-hmm. And we do, and we come out of that junk thought with right effort. In the mm-hmm. beginning, it's an effort mm-hmm. to throw out what we were talking about or thinking about inside and to come back to this present moment. And perhaps the new thought that we're going to have would be, uh-huh, I see you, Mara. I see what's going on. And so the right effort then is going to be, I see you, Mara. I'm coming back to the present moment. And also part of that present moment is to take a really long, deep breath. And that Mm. helps register us in the present moment, as well as now we're really fully waking up that frontal Mm. cortex. Mm. Before we were just in the midbrain and reptilian brain kind of dialogue system. And now we're really waking up. Mm And waking up with this frontal cortex, with the breathing, and with the, aha, I see you, Mara, and with the intention of, I can, in fact, be happy right now. Mm. I do not have to be in the state that I was two seconds and three seconds ago. Mm. By taking that deep breath, I can gladden the mind. Mm. I caught you. Aha, I see you. Okay, and so we gladden the mind, we make it bright. Mm. 
that then leads us into the practice of Vedana, of actually beginning to feel good, mm. rather than feeling drowsy and feeling sad and feeling anxious and, and feeling bored. Now we have that thought, Aha, I see you, which means with that deep breath, we can actually wake up and start enjoying what we're doing, mm. become mm. satisfied. And as we build that, there's something new that happens, and that's that fourth item on the Eightfold Noble Path, right attitude. And so now we begin to have the right attitude of, <clears throat> instead of the, the wrong attitude of, oh, meditation is hard, oh, I'm struggling, but I'm making some progress. That's the wrong mm -hmm. attitude. The right attitude is, wow, look, I can do this. I can see what's in the mind. I can throw that stuff out. I can come back to this present moment. I can take a deep breath. yippee ki yo -yay, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And now we've got some good attitude going. The attitude of a winner. The attitude of a lion. Mm. But the normal attitude that people are in is in the attitude of a victim, the attitude of a loser. Mm. Just saying the word, I am angry, mm. points that out. Why? Mm. Because no one would choose to be angry. So if mm -hmm. I am angry, that means the anger itself has taken over. Mm. It owns me. I'm the bottom dog here, and the anger is on top. I mm. am angry. I'm under the control of anger. But if I can wake up at that moment as, aha, I see you, anger. Mm. And by doing so, we are no longer the anger itself. The anger is here, and mm -hmm. I see you. I'm separating out. This is a, what we would call kind of a disassociation from the self. Mm. I am angry is a selfish position. I am sad. I am bored. I am hungry. I am, I am, I am, I am, is what we go around talking about all the time. And when we I aming things... That means we are stuck. Mm. There are handcuffs. So mm. when there's clinging going on, the eye is there because the eye is the other end of the arm that's doing the clinging. Mm. You cannot have clinging without a cling or, or at least a cling on. <laughs> mm. You cannot have ownership without an owner. And so that self is in there, and that self is basically nothing but a dialogue between the parent ego state and the child ego state. But now we're going to add a third <coughs> element, and that third element we can call wisdom, to wake up to see that, and to put an end to it so that that child inside can begin to feel secure and happy. Uh -huh, I see you. Uh -huh, I can feel good. Uh -huh, I can take a deep breath and enjoy the moment. Mm. And so we're taking the pressure off of the child and giving him a break. And mm. the natural state of childhood is joyful. The mm. joy will arise if you just give it half a chance. Mm. Okay, so uh -huh, mm. I see you and gladdening the mind and then that sense of satisfaction, those feelings of uh, uh, success. Mm -hmm. And also feelings of security. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time people go around feeling insecure. Mm -hmm. Most of the reason they feel insecure is because their own parent ego state is beating up on their own child ego state. Mm -hmm. so naturally, the child is feeling insecure. Mm -hmm. But when things in the mind get more unified, then mm -hmm. the child feels more secure. Because the parent's not beaten up on the child, and the adult is taking care of the child through wisdom. In other words, we don't have to feel frightened anymore mm. in order to avoid danger. Mm. We can use wisdom instead. We can see things that are dangerous, and then we don't have to get close to it to get, it, get it in, in danger again. Touch the bullets. 
We begin, yeah, we become knowledgeable. We don't have to feel the danger to know the danger. Now we can intellectualize the danger without actually having to feel that we're in danger. But most of the people that we know go around feeling like they're in danger and they're not even using their frontal cortex to wake up to recognize there's no danger there. Mm -hmm. This is really not a dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. An example of that, that some students feel terrified when they call the teacher. And on Skype, even. <laughs> and there's no way that the teacher can uh, uh, harm the student in any way. Mm. It's not possible. And yet the children uh, and the students will be fearful. Um, it sounds um, that the experience of meditation can um, in develop traits that then are applied out in the world right this is <laughs> this is we where will we do definitely it. be getting into this in yeah, fact this yeah. is part of the anapanasati training mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. not just what happens on the cushion yeah yeah mm -hmm. and uh, we will get into that that's okay. that's later time okay but you an example of that is um <clears throat> watch what your hands are doing right <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that you're, and here's a way of doing that. For the rest of this call, you're not to put your hands on your face. <laughs> I'm sort of leaning, sitting on the front of the sofa, which is partly why, but okay. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. I'm sitting on, like, leaning forward on the sofa, so I feel a bit precarious physically, but I'm... Okay, well, you can sit back. All right, cool. Now, but you need to tilt the camera a little bit so that... Uh, yeah. There we go. That's better. Okay. Um, but yes, there is. Um, oh, no, there uh, we go. I, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's in action. <laughs> okay. Well, see, that's wake up. That's wake up. Yeah. And we keep wanting to wake up throughout the day. So there's a mm -hmm. lot of things that we can do to begin helping us to wake up. But we do it in seclusion in the beginning because we want to get away from the world mm -hmm. so that we can deal with only the mental mess. But after we begin practicing on the cushion, now we want to start practicing those same things throughout the day. And there's a lot of stuff that we can do that will help wake up. And one of the things almost always importantly is that is, is that when we do wake up throughout the day, that's an opportunity to take another deep breath. Mm. Okay, all right, yeah, all right. So we start to taking deep breaths throughout the day. This is also part of the practice, is to get our um, mind-body complex oxygenated, energized. You'll actually feel healthier. This is part of the reason why uh, exercise is so valuable to people is, uh, and they don't even recognize it as part of the reason is because when they're exercising, they're breathing well. Mm. And when they're not exercising, they're not breathing well. But if you're breathing well, that's kind of an exercise all by itself. So to, uh, remembering throughout today to breathe well, remembering mm. what you're your hands and there's a whole lot of other techniques uh that we can mm -hmm. start to use too mm -hmm. but that's exactly correct that we do want to um wake things up not just while we're sitting but mm -hmm. uh all the time mm -hmm. a really clear example of that is oh you meditate for one hour a day oh you're meditating two hours a day i got that yeah an hour in the morning an hour in the evening that mm -hmm. means you're stuck in hindrance only 22 hours a day that's good which is going to win? Twenty-two hours of hindrance followed by or uh, preceded <laughs> by a hundred year or fifty years of hindrance, uh, and only two hours a day of mindfulness. I think that hindrance is going to win on that one. But if we keep waking up throughout the day over and over and over and over and over again, eventually we'll whack away at those old hindrances mm -hmm. until you to the point that we can do it much of much of the time. Great. Um, I'm, yeah, I'd be very interested to hear more about that shift from the long to the short breaths as well in the first tetrad, but maybe that's for another 
another call. Yes, let's, yeah. let's do the short press later, okay. uh, and I will teach you several things about it, including uh, Adama Vitu's uh, mm. advanced techniques on that. Okay. But mostly, uh, if if the long breath is designed to get the body oxygenated, mm -hmm. then the short breath that we're talking about here may, in fact, not be normal breathing that takes it and gives it all back to the reptilian brain, which means it's so hard to, uh, mm. to watch. That the okay. actual short breathing is a little shorter breath, but it is absolutely designed to keep the body alive, oxygenated, so that you become tingly alive. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Sometimes they even go so far as to use the word hyperventilate. But yeah, uh, next time you call, okay. we'll start working a bit with uh, with the short breath. Okay. Uh, and that it does say uh, uh, each short breath, the in-breath, you know that that's an end, mm. short in-breath. You know mm. that you're breathing short. Mm. You know that you're breathing out short. Mm. Okay, mm. just like know that you're breathing in long and you know that you're breathing out long mm -hmm. now we can also practice that step two of knowing that we're breathing in short and know that we're breathing out short because mm -hmm. in, in fact with that that means that the sati now happens much quicker because mm -hmm. every in-breath every out-breath every in-breath every out-breath we've got We got strangers in the yard. The dogs don't know these guys. Okay, Lucky. Come here, Lucky. Now that's some well trained dogs, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Enough already. Lucky, come here. Come on. You do such a good job. I'm really glad to. Yeah, good dog, good dog. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be able to train our own reptilian mind just like that. Lucky did her job. Yeah. When people came into the yard, she barked. Yeah. But then we checked it out. It's okay. And now she's getting a big pat on the head. <laughs> <laughs> and so we need to be able to down boy inside of our own head and say, yeah, good job. Good job. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people have the idea that we, we were supposed to kill off our instincts mm. rather than uh, just take control over them. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, this is a lot about learning how to control our interior mm. by getting the mind fit for work we now are able to bring up joy intentionally mm. and we want to keep bringing it up every mm -hmm. time that we remember to mm -hmm. because these habits will begin to build up the more often you remember to be joyful the better quality that joy will be and it's always in this present moment mm. okay mm -hmm. and i know that people like to say well uh yeah i've got stage one joy this week and i'll get stage two joy next week and stage nine joy the week after that and this is not the right way of thinking so uh there are indications of the sequences of events mm -hmm. but the anapanasati sutta is not one of them mm -hmm. uh but that the sambo jhana is mm -hmm. In the sense okay. that it does have the chronological order, knowing that you cannot do an investigation unless you have sati. Mm. So the sati, the investigation, the effort, and mm. the joy come in order before the peace. Mm. And yet in the Anapanasati Sutta, the, um, uh, the peacefulness of the body is stepped uh, four of Anapanasati in the body section. Mm -hmm. But until we have that pity, until mm. we have the real joy, we're not going to be at peace. Mm. 
If you're unjoyful, your peacefulness is not really peacefulness. Mm. It's more static mm. with some, with some uh, static friction in it. But mm. when you're really, really joyful and satisfied, only then can you come to a rest of peace. So there are some things in there that have to do with chronological order. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't put them as step nine or stage eight or step yeah. six or uh, that kind of thing. Uh, especially since we understand that the higher jhanas do not gain the kind of insight that leads to real freedom. That there is, in fact, one place where we gather the jhana factors together. And I've been talking about this this whole time without mentioning this. Mm. But the first thing that we do is we remove the hindrances. Aha, I see you. And they're Mm. out. Okay. That aha, I see you also is gladdening the mind, which puts the mind in the state of uh, being satisfied that the hindrances are gone. And the Mm. pleasure of having the hindrance is gone. Now we have three factors of the first jhana. Mm. These these two are based upon uh, the freedom or the seclusion from hindrances, joy and satisfaction arise. Mm. And when we get the mind going with the right breathing, taking those deep breaths puts the frontal cortex in operation, bringing about two new jhana factors. And that is that we can now apply the mind to what we want to apply it to Mm. and sustain that. Mm. This is the place where um, in that first jhana is where wholesome versus unwholesome thoughts come in. Mm. When we're not in jhana, those are automatically generally unwholesome thoughts with a few wholesome thoughts sprinkled in going back and forth and just mixing all stuff together. But when we get the mind really fit for work, Mm-hmm. So that we can apply the mind to what we want to apply it to and keep it there. Generally, what that means is now we are developing the skill of deciding what we're going to think. And we're only going to allow wholesome thoughts and we're not going to allow unwholesome thoughts. Mm-hmm. And here's the criteria. Wholesome thoughts are going to help us stay in this state of satisfaction and joy. Mm-hmm. And unwholesome thoughts are going to be the kind of thoughts that will pull us out of our state of satisfaction and joy. And the thoughts that will pull us out of our state of satisfaction and joy is that superego. So if we stay in frontal cortex, if we can stay in that state of mind, then the kind of thoughts we have can be intentionally wholesome. Mm. But if we begin to, uh, to um, let us say, lose that touch of right effort or are not on guard or mindful or watching the kind of thoughts that come in, then naturally the kind of thoughts that are going to come in will be the old thoughts that we're used to mm. having, which will then destroy our state of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So basically, this is what we mean by first John is to be able to get into it by gathering these five factors together and then stay in it mm. with using one of these factors to keep the other factors going. Mm. That's the ability to sustain the mind to keep it in that state of satisfaction. Mm. 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 Can you do that? No. <laughs> Never mind. Start again. Yeah. Keep practicing. Keep getting yourself into that state of joy and then keep practicing to stay in that state of joy. That's first jhana. I know that people say, oh, well, my first jhanas are really, really high up there and they're really, really hard to get and I'll get there in a few years. No, you can get in first jhana right now. Mm. Anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. By getting your, st- in fact, many students are in first jhana quite a lot while I'm talking to them because they're in a state of joy. They're listening intently mm-hmm. that they've got their mind focused and st- sustaining it on the Dhamma in this case. Mm-hmm. So all they have to do then is add their mindfulness of breathing along with that and they've got first jhana. And when I keep doing the kinds of things that invites the students to keep watching their breath, like doing this, like... Watch that shoulder. 
So when you begin to watch those things, then you get into that habit too. So yeah, first John is easy for uh, students with guided meditation. The problem with guided meditations is, is that the students can't do it when mm-hmm. someone's not guiding them through it. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to do this on your own because the guided meditation teacher is not going to be there all the time. Okay. So this is kind of what we're, this is in a way a kind of a review, but it's mm-hmm. also a deepening mm-hmm. into um, the, the practice. Yeah. And that uh, eventually when we get, uh, let us say, deeply involved with step seven of Anapanasati, which I haven't mentioned yet, mm-hmm. that's when we really go into Paticca Samukara. When okay. we really start investigating the sequence of events and how the mind works and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which done in step seven and eight of Anapanasati. And how the Buddha put all of this together, I don't know. But when you see how intricate and beautiful this mosaic is that he mm-hmm. built, it, it's like, how could he have figured that out? <laughs> the answer is he had one thread. He had a thing to pull on. You know what he pulled on? Aha, uh-huh, I see you, Myra. Mm. That's the place where it starts, is when we wake up and we see what the mind is doing. Mm. That's the mm. way that we begin to figure out how the mind works. Aha, uh-huh, mm. I see you. Mm. Mm. So do okay. you have any questions about what we've been talking about? No, I think that's plenty. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah it's, it's all making sense, I think. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Damaratu. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more. Um, All right. Well, I can't you. help. I can't wait until you do what we've been talking about today. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna do it today, <laughs> and the next day, and the next day. <laughs> All right. Thank you so okay, much. Okay. See you. All right. Bye bye.